This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Full Mutuality Podcast. Today's episode is the continuation of a conversation we started last time with Chris Doran, in which he shared his story of religious trauma at the hands of the leadership of a church called Emergence. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, please check that one out first and then come back to this one. In today's episode, we discuss the response churches have when they're called out and how things can be handled better. Also, please note this conversation does contain a mention of suicidal ideation. You know, when you were talking about um, recovery and process of healing after and just sort of how church community cutting you off because it had so many different layers of, of community and support um, that it, it really ripped you from a lot of what you had for support at the time. I was thinking of secondary trauma as you were talking about this in terms of when you start giving your story and speaking out. And I'm really happy that you have finally found some great supportive um, people around you. And as you've gone telling your story, you've had some really good connections that you've made through this, this whole situation where you found some healthy community and you found supportive community. But I think it's good for people also to understand and be aware of the damage that comes from when you tell your story, not just the good connections you make, but the secondary trauma that comes from the not so pretty responses right. you can get and how hard that is when you're coming out and being honest about something very vulnerable, something very difficult, basically spiritual abuse and trauma you've gone through to the point that you have PTSD from it. And I mean, I saw you're talking about how, you know, there's still gossip going on at emergence, but I wanted to go back to, or just briefly touch on, I know, was it you, Nate, that shared it on your wall about, you know, you, you helped Chris to write out the story that we're going to put in the show notes. We should also mm-hmm. put a link down there to church clarity as well for people who might yeah. want to check out that and see if, you know, a church they know might be connected. But um, I was thinking of the responses that people from emergence gave uh, to you, Nate, and to like, they went after you too, Nate, in a way that I found <laughs> just like stunning. And I, and I want, and I want to tell this part of the story because, and you guys can jump in and telling it, but I'm thinking you're not the only ones who've probably gone through this, where you take your bravery and your courage and revealing this vulnerable thing you've gone through. And instead of people's hearts being touched and filled with compassion and love and wanting to be a support to you after what you've gone through, they feel the need to defend their church to protect the leadership involved because they have connections to the leadership. And instead of listening with an open heart and with a sense of repentance and remorse and being heartbroken over it, they become vicious. I can't even think of another way. Gaslighting. I mean, I'm just thinking somebody came at you, Nate, and said, compared you to Fox News for for writing the story with Chris and diminished the role that you even played in your church tried to pretend was it that you weren't on staff or that you didn't have a certain title so you weren't as no, important it, it to was, the church yeah it, it it had to do with my um you know w- with me sort of characterizing myself as having been on pastoral staff at the church well there were five of us on staff at the church at the time um and this was a mega church right Emergence yeah and this was a, well yeah at the time there were probably um i would guess between you know 11 and 1400 people in attendance um five people on staff for 
um, an average attendance of 1100, um, you're a pastor, whether you like it or not. Um, Mm -hmm. but instead of actually um, going at what you, regardless, honestly, you know, I, uh, like all of that is immaterial. Um, because the, the point that I was trying to make was that was not that, oh, you know, I, you know, I was, I was a pastor at this church. Therefore, you know, I had some kind of, you know, uh, position or, or in, or something. The point I was trying to make was that, I was, I was there. I was behind, a, like six days a week I was in that building with those people, hearing those conversations. It, it, it has little to do with my position and more to do with my proximity to these, uh, to these men. Um, I think that's, and that ties into something I wanted to point out is sometimes when you speak out, you end up gaslit and deflections happen. Like instead of addressing what you had taken the time, Nate, to write out with Chris, it became this side topic. Oh, let's change it on to, oh, there's something inaccurate in your story about your title or about, and like skipping over the much more broader and important point of what went down in order to basically deflect from from the conversation, mm-hmm. basically try not to hold the church accountable or listen to what Chris has been through. It just becomes about something completely unrelated. And I think that happens a lot in spiritual abuse, that when you're trying to confront the powers and the systems that are set up, there are people that come in. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys have heard the term flying monkey as a, yeah. well, as a term. Yeah, in, in this context, yeah. I mean, so so anybody who's not familiar, you know, the flying monkeys would be referred to. Um, yeah, from the Wizard of Oz, uh, the Wicked Witch of the West would, you know, send her flying monkeys to do her bidding. Um, when so, you know... Translating that to, to these sorts of environments where you have, um, you know, uh, leaders in, in in higher positions who have, um, you know, who are probably party to some pretty egregious abuse. Um, there are there are people who go out who aren't necessarily the leaders themselves, but who go out in defense of those leaders um, mm. to basically, you know, quote unquote, do their bidding. Yeah. And so. I, I wanted to point those those elements out because, and I'm not not just trying to crap on emergence, although I think they handled it poorly, and a lot of people who jumped in to defend the leadership were not thinking through how to how to be like Christ in the situation, how to care about the whole bigger picture, um, not you know choosing when they see the good they ought to do to pick the wrong path. But I think these other elements in telling your story where spiritual abuse can happen, and I'd want people who've gone through something similar whether it's, you know, specifically on the LGBTQ topic or any other areas of church abuse to be able to pick out and recognize other points like, um, well, you know, Nate, you didn't say that nicely. You know, I, I'm not objecting or saying everything you're saying is not true, but like the way that you put it, you know, was it was the wrong way. Um, there's sometimes like just different ways that people will attempt to discredit you or to turn mm-hmm. around the story or to take the spotlight off or to change the narrative completely. Yeah. Um, so focusing that, on you didn't say it nicely is, is right. one of those ways that gets done. Yeah. And that's something called tone policing, um, which is, uh, essentially when somebody is, when somebody is uh, a victim, um, of any kind of abuse, you telling them that the way that they're coming across is, is unhelpful or unhealthy. And maybe you should, you know, um, calm down in your delivery. Well, if somebody is in a car crash, um, you don't expect them to, you know, deliver the, the news of their traumatic experience, um, especially when everything is right there in front of them, um, with the sort of calm demeanor of a news anchor, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> like, I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Chris, it looked like you had something you wanted to say. No, I, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, um, I feel d- during these exchanges that were happening over these social media platforms after the article was released, um, I do want to say there were evangelicals that were not part of emergence that were disgusted by what happened. So I want to point that out. Um, because that was something really powerful to me. Uh, mm. Evangelicals from other churches um, were like, what the hell? <laughs> like, that's yeah. not okay. Um, on top of that, something I noticed was the person that was really attacking um, the story didn't really ask any questions. And I think there's something to be said about that. I think if we would just start listening to people and and um, instead of just speaking to people, if we listen to understand and not just to reply, which is a, a quote I really like, I think we would learn a lot and have more empathy. Something mm. that really frustrated me um, with emergence was, and it's in the article, Tom and I said we should have a forum to talk about LGBT issues. You can make your case. Calvin University did it uh, with Justin Lee when he spoke, saying their case. But they allowed Justin Lee to speak about the history of LGBT treatment in the church because there's something to say about people who are well-informed and people should make their own decisions. The fact to me that they didn't want to have a forum, it didn't have to be during a service. It could have been during their Theology Thursday or whatever. The fact that they didn't want to have a forum, not even about that, but other issues, reveals to me they are wanting to push a certain narrative. And they don't want people thinking outside of the box. What I find really interesting, and again, it's not just emergence, there's other churches, is people defending leadership, as you were talking about. Mm -hmm. So nowhere in this exchange, I don't think she mentioned once Jesus. Uh, Let me just go and see. No, you guys mentioned Jesus, but she didn't. It It was an attack. And I think what I was seeing was people from emergence except three of them, were really upset with the article because it was attacking the church. And what people said to me was, you're pulling people away from Christ. You're pulling people away from Christ. You're making people hate the church. In fact, I got the opposite response. I got to talk to two of the founders of um, LGBT Bergen, which is going to be a, a nonprofit that's coming out soon. Um, it was mm. coinci- It was random coincidence, but really cool. Tom was there as well. And I got to tell them, and along with people I've spoke to, about this this article and everything that happened no one views jesus as hateful no one hates jesus and the article in fact made people ask really good questions about jesus it didn't Mm. push them away so what i saw was people were defending their leadership what was even more interesting to me while i was attending this church you would go to these like gatherings or even just going out to eat all people would talk about were the pastors and going to church Mm. functions like that's all they would talk about And I was like, what are you guys, you know, they're, what are we doing here? Like, why aren't we showing God's love to people that are not in our circle? Why aren't we uh, emergence and other churches too? They have a huge race problem. And that could be a whole nother conversation. Um, What what are you, you know, you could say you're anti-racist or that you love gay people, but what are you doing about it? Um, One of the, you know. I know what they're doing. They're teaching people that critical race theory is bad. And I know that for a fact with emergence because we actually did cover this, but I won't go off topic too far. (laughs) Yeah, I mean. But like, yes, yeah, I'm just affirming what you're saying, Chris, that like, yes, there are some other topics going on too. And what are they doing to actually address it? Unfortunately, 
doing a lot of damage. And and in terms of just drawing people to Jesus and people are going to be turned off from the church if you start talking about the problems. No, they're turned off at the way you are dealing with other human beings. And that needs to be addressed and that needs to be dealt with. I noticed that one of the other things that I saw people doing when they were responding to you was acting like, and I think when you said no one asked me any questions, no one was, uh, people were acting like they knew your story better than you did with what happened. Oh, like as they were addressing it, like they were in the room and in the discussions behind the scenes and that they, they were talking over you about your own story. And I think when people, when survivors come forward, when abusive, spiritual abuse survivors come forward, that is one of the most important things. Ask questions, let them tell their own story and don't pretend that you know better just because you like your pastor. Um, then the person who was actually in the room and had those horrifying conversations that traumatized them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those the, I think those are the things that turn people from God. Um, those are the things that can push people away from God permanently and totally and make them never, ever want to go back to a church again. And then watching the people in the background, instead of them showing love and support, but assuming that they're lying, assuming that they made it up, assuming that they know that person, the real motivation behind mm-hmm. why they're doing it, like, oh, you're trying to be divisive or you're trying to whatever. I mean, I've heard so many different things over the years of basically horrible motivations being attributed to why someone would want to speak up. When in reality, people don't speak up for attention. Everyone who decides to confront these sort of abuses about that they've gone through do so with trembling hands and with a hope for change. And I think that's that's what I can see of your heart when you you know wanted to talk about your story. Um, I saw how careful you and Nate were in the background discussing and how you you know, you didn't want to throw anyone under the bus. You didn't want to wrongly, uh, you fact-checked all of your stuff. You guys were so right. careful in trying to make sure that you didn't present anyone the wrong way. I hope I don't misquote so-and-so. Wait, let's change that part because I don't know if that's exactly what he said. And Tom Tom was on the phone with us during this process because he was like, hey, you know what? I remember that a little differently. And it was so important that this mm-hmm. story, because it's his story too, and um it was so important that everything was accurate. We went through all the emails and text messages that we had because we wanted to make sure that everything we said was accurate. We also didn't name every pastor in that article. Mm-hmm. And there was there was a real reason to do that. The goal was not about attacking each individual person. It was about attacking the way something happened and the trauma that it brought. Yeah. I And my hope was that emergence would have been kind of made aware more I guess, what's the term now, woke? Like just kind of woken (laughs) up and shaken from this kind of stagnancy of um, complacency. Um, I don't, I think what it did was it probably put their their walls up even more. I think um, it actually did not do much. I think they became very defensive. However- But you know- Oh, oh, go go ahead, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, however, as I said, we've, the article was read- so I, the views of this article were so so many views. It just and the amount of messages and and things from people I don't even know that were reaching out, saying how the story helped them, and they were reaching out and and talking about what they went through at their church. It wasn't about emergence in the end. It was about religious abuse. Spiritual abuse is a real thing. It's not just about LGBT. It's about women. It's about people of divorce. It's about people of color. Um, and so the article in the end produced so much good. And I hope, you know, I, I think emergence eventually, I, I don't think I'm the last one this is going to happen to. Mm-hmm. And I don't yeah. think I'm the loudest. I, I think there will be someone louder who will probably make, raise more of a stink. And I, I hope emergence can kind of figure stuff out because 
if emergence doesn't figure stuff out and this keeps happening, not only is it hurting more people, it's hurting the congregation as well. Yeah. And I think um, you, you, you actually, um, you said it right there. This, this is a bigger issue than just emergence. We just happen to be talking about emergence because it's your church. It's the church where you experienced this trauma. It's what, you know, we, uh, we, kind of coordinated on to share your story. It's the church that I had worked at for five years. But this is this is so much bigger than emergence. This is um, deep within the DNA of evangelicalism. And maybe you're a little bit more optimistic than I am. But my, my take on this is that evangelicalism, these sort of um, power structures, hierarchies, and um, abusive beliefs are so embedded in its DNA that I think it's going to to die before it lets go of these things. Um, however, I guess the optimistic side of me would say there there is a mass exodus from from these churches and um, you know the the abuses that come out of them. The not not the the least of which being um, the probably the biggest brand in evangelicalism currently falling apart before our very eyes um, in Hillsong. Um, and Rabbi Zachariah was another one. And Ravi Zacharias, mm-hmm. exactly. Another mainstay in, in the evangelical movement. You know, one after another after another, these tent poles of evangelicalism falling apart. So there's a mass exodus from evangelicalism. And I think it's healthy for people who are leaving to determine, uh, to ask themselves, um, is, is, is a, a an allegiance to Jesus or a faith in Jesus um, or faith in whatever God I had I, I had been um, loyal to prior to uh, to all of this as I walk away from this is it worth holding on to that and if not then by all means walk away but there are other faith expressions within Christianity mm-hmm. that are providing opportunities for us to have these conversations and aren't maintaining these um, inequalities that exist in, in evangelical spaces. You know, um, I think of, uh, of churches like, um, like ours, the, the one that Gail and I attend that, that are congregational in nature and whose pastor is accountable to its congregation, right. uh, where, um, if at any point the congregation sees that the pastor is going off the rails or is not leading with, uh, or, or not, uh, caring for them with the kind of pastoral heart that, that would reflect Jesus's teachings, um, they can convene an assembly to vote, um, to, and to vote the pastor out like that. These sort of mechanisms, because the pastor has a lot of power, uh, they have a lot of authority. And so so that imbalance of power needs to be checked somehow. Yes. And I think the the ability for the congregation and not through some, you know, um, protective method like we saw with um, Mars Hill Church where Mark Driscoll was the pastor, not something that the pastor has a lot of control over, but something that is in the hands of the congregation Absolutely. so that there's accountability. Um, you know, I think that's very important. The church Tom and I go to in Brooklyn called Forefront, their budget is on the website. They have um, a rotating elected leadership, um, and they have. It, when I saw that their budget was on the website, and you didn't have to be a member to see the budget, that's powerful to me. I a lot of churches, Emergence is one of them. Their budget is behind a lock and key, and it yeah. really concerns me that no one's asking why. Um, when I saw a budget posted on the website. For everyone to see, you, you literally log on, it's right there. When they state every single value and view they have, they have video clips of going into each discussion of social issues and 
I mean, every issue you could think of, I'm, I'm sure they're missing some, but the big ones that are a huge issue today, they talk about. It's it's mm-hmm. super, super clear where they stand. That was powerful to me. And um, there are other churches like that too, but I think there's something to be said. And I and I hope, you know, and I know people, I know Emergence is going to listen to this podcast. I know it's going to get to them. One question I have for them is why don't they make their budget public? Mm-hmm. Why are their views not on their website? And what are they doing about the church abuse and trauma that has already happened. What and particularly why is the lead pastor not talking about homosexuality? He pushes mm. the pastor of theology to talk about it. He refuses to touch it. There are a lot of questions I have. I can't ask it, but I know they're probably going to listen to this. And it's not just emergence. As I said, there's other churches that everything is behind lock and key. You have to have a member, you have a membership, you have to request it um, to see it. And there's something that I think needs to be they need to be yeah. held accountable. Um, and what's really sad is because of the way the leadership is is structured there, who are they accountable to? Each other. Mm-hmm. It's really um, it's really interesting. And that sort of, I guess, ties into a bit of what Nate was saying about accountability structures in your leadership and if your congregation can hold you accountable. Because if it's the leaders that vote in leaders and decide when leaders leave, then and they're all there to support each other in keeping those positions, uh, there isn't any accountability. I think that one of those, um, you were quoting uh, some verses earlier, and there's a verse in the Bible that I don't think my church ever read, and it was, those who are elders who are sinning, you t- you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. It's from 1 Timothy 5.20. And it, I find it funny that it's a Bible verse because a lot of churches talk about discipleship and they talk about disciplining church members. Um, and and they will kick people out and remove people from their churches for quote unquote sinning, which again I find is interesting because what qualifies as sin and what doesn't is always I'm like, where how do they pick these things is what they're you know making into the bad things when it's you know people's identities and why are they taking these other things like that are actually harming others like racism and not seeing that as the sinful stuff to you know go after. But what I found interesting is that. If you look for verses in the Bible that talk about disciplining your church members, you're not going to find much. But if you look at the idea that elders should be reproved before everyone so that others may take warning, I'm thinking how many churches that kick people out, kick their leaders out. And I don't mean once there's a big scandal that comes into the open and that pastor runs away and flees the situation because they have no choice. And now they got to run away and hide because, you know, they're they are totally outed. Like, you know, we mentioned Hillsong, we mentioned Ravi. I mean, there's so many of these where, you know, they hide it as long as they can. They try and cover and, and say it's gossip or it's false accusation until it's very, very clear and blatant that that's not the case. And then, you know, that's it. The person is not held accountable. They just kind of like Mars Hill disappear. And if, and if, they, church. if they publish, <laughs> yeah. And if they publish their budget on their website, the misappropriation of funds that happened in those churches would have been caught much sooner. It, mm-hmm. It's it's amazing to me, and I'm sure other people knew. It, it you know, yeah. we always point at the leader, but there were people underneath them who knew where the money was going and covering up for mm-hmm. them. You know, there was. Um, I don't know. I you know, Jesus himself is very strongly he uses very strong language for the religious hypocrites and religious leaders he is Mm -hmm. yeah 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 that's where i was going with that point was just that it's interesting that there's the churches that will kick out members will never do that with their leaders and jesus really when he took aim at anyone it was always the religious leaders that he was so strongly speaking out at calling them hypocrites vipers whitewashed tombs it was all the religious leaders that he was going at and yet these kind of verses we'll never hear them because keeping 
you know, leaders accountable is sometimes not happening. What I do enjoy in, in us talking about this, um, I mean, I like talking about everything that went bad because I think lots of people see their story, like people who aren't from emergence who reached out to you and saw their own story in this. I think talking about the hard, the negative side, the traumatic side, the part that will need, you can't go through healing and recovery without having something really bad happen first. And that's unfortunate. Um, but I think talking about that so people don't feel alone is an important part of why I want to do this podcast and why I want to talk about inequality is to highlight what's wrong. And the other part of it for me is where is there hope? What does doing it right look like? And I think we did touch on a lot of that, whether it's what you said about making budgets public or what you said, Nate, about uh, how the congregation can function in in a way or a structure that does hold leadership accountable. And it's not just one guy picking his buddies and they all support each other at the top and no one could actually address it, you know, and that's the structure of the church. So I'm thinking of like, you know, there are ways to do things that are healthy and right. And what does freedom and what does equality look like if things were done in a healthy and better way? And Those are also notes that I love to wrap up with or that I like to bring forward as part of it. Like we can get into the nitty gritty of how things go wrong and I don't want to downplay that because it's super important. But then like, how do we imagine this to be different? What needs to change? How how can things look different? Stating up front their beliefs on things. There's another one that we covered Mm -hmm. today. Um, Yeah. Did I miss something? Are there other things that when we think through like this topic that pop into your head or... Those are those are main. Those are the main. I th- yeah. when you are truthful in all things, you, the, I I don't I don't have the verse in front of me, but um, everything comes to the light. Truth will always prevail, and when people are honest and truthful and don't hide anything, it is better in the long run. It is better to have a minor issue than it blow up into a huge one. Um, I ultimately, and as you were saying, there is a lot of hope. As I said, there is religious trauma therapists. There are support groups. There are nonprofits that help people who have gone through this. I, um, uh, Freed Hearts is one of them. It's a great nonprofit. Um, if you want something really powerful that makes you think is, um, check out, um, I think Naked Pastor has some really cool cartoons that definitely had me thinking, um, Mm -hmm. about things. Um, but there's so many, um, organizations out there, um, I can tell you I am not suicidal today, which is good, Um, but it took a lot of time. Again, psychiatry, therapy, religious trauma therapy, but ultimately what really healed me is I started going to a new church that, as I said, very transparent. They were the first church to just take me as I am without any questions, without any like explanation of anything. It was like, welcome, we love you. And all our views are on the website. Go, you know, go look, there's nothing hidden. And you, you're always like, oh, something's hidden. Something has to be hidden. But, you know, we're looking at the website and everything's there. And I invited people to this church that are not Christian. And they said they love it because they they can feel that everyone is welcome and loved. There is no hidden agenda. Um, so there's a lot of hope out there. Um, yeah, so that's something there is. to put out there. Transparency, honesty. I did have one more that popped in my head. Um, I was thinking of, you know, you had mentioned uh, how the people who didn't reach out or the silence, even on part of the leadership, if things are, you know, working in the right direction, I actually had a story this week in my own, in my own trauma from spiritual stuff. And I'm not going to get into my whole story, but I had my church that I feel safe in and I had gone through past spiritual trauma and I had an issue that happened in my church. And then I had to go confront the pastor and I was like, oh, no. 
Like I haven't, I don't want to ruin my safe space by right. having to find out if my church is for real. You know what I mean? Like how are the, like I'm, I'm used to being gaslit. I'm used to being a troublemaker when I speak up and speak my mind. I'm used to being that woman who speaks her opinion. Women are supposed to be submissive and meek and quiet, you know, not, not, you know, yeah. Teachers on women, teachers in patriarchal churches. It's not a great thing. <laughs> it, it's very, it burns you. Um, but my female pastor was just such a sweetheart and she, um, she, her response to me was something I'd never experienced before, but it was very healing. It was taking my criticisms to heart. It was making it that I mattered and more than her defending what went down. She wasn't about defending anything. She was about understanding and apologizing. Right. And, and what I like, you know, and we're talking about how can things be done right? We're talking about clarity. We're talking about transparency on the website. Uh, we're talking about leadership structures. I'm thinking even repentance from leaders, leaders yeah. that can acknowledge when they blow it and come to you. Chris, they should have come to you already. This is a problem when church leaders can't be humble and come to you and talk to you. There's a last quote, something, and if any of you wants to have the last word, I don't need to. Um, that's fine. <laughs> but there's a, a quote I came across, and I, if anyone knows where it's from or if someone finds it, maybe we'll put it in the show notes. I'm not sure. I just wrote it down because I thought it was cool. It said, "Repentance, sorry, without repentance, reconciliation is manipulation. Without accountability, forgiveness is marketing. And without justice, unity is crowd control. So it just made me that that quote, you know, it was really powerful and made me think about talking about unity. We don't want to be divisive, so we don't bring up stuff. But there's really no repentance, no accountability, uh, and no justice on situations, and how those things end up being manipulative and about marketing and control rather than really being about what they're claiming it is. Reconciliation yeah. and forgiveness and unity can be words that are weaponized if they don't have the substance and teeth and meat behind it that back up. Uh, that those are sincere endeavors. And, yeah. you know, my hope would be for the leadership of emergence that does listen to take the time to reach out to you and maybe to be convicted in their hearts. I'm more of a pessimistic person. So that's, <laughs> but I still hope, you know, my experience this week, uh, working through my own past spiritual trauma and having the courage to confront leadership was a big learning lesson for me that it doesn't always have to keep repeating forward in a negative way. That sometimes, even though you've only experienced it in this negative way, that some places can do it right. And some people are for real and mm. yeah, that you don't have to find out that it's all a ruse at the end of it, you know, and be disappointed mm. all the time. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. So kind of to, um, to wrap up what I, what I want to do is provide, because I think, um, in my opinion, um, and not that I feel like I need to have the last word word is, you know, the, the straight man in the room, but, um, I, I, in my opinion, I think, uh, one of the best ways, uh, for, for you to find healing is through, um, therapy. I don't, I know we touched on some stuff, uh, this, uh, during our conversation, um, regarding mental health. Um, and I think it's, it's important to talk about that. And sometimes, and the first step really is to find a good therapist. Um, and it, you know, in, in a lot of spaces, I think that the landscape is improving a little bit overall as far as coverage for mental health. So in all likelihood, you're, um, if, if, if you have a, a good job that has, uh, halfway decent benefits, you might have mental health coverage. Um, and there, there's a website, this is how I found my therapist, actually, it was a website called, uh, reclamationcollective.com. And they actually Shout out have to our friend Kalista, who I think directed you there. Yes. 
Yes. Um, she provided me with the, with the website and I was able to find my therapist through it. Um, and they provide therapists who specialize in religious trauma and adverse religious experiences, um, including, and then they also go, go through things like, uh, your deconstruction, uh, deconversion and spiritual abuse, um, storylines and journeys along with you. And, uh, so far my experience has been, um, uh, to borrow a religious uh, spiritual term divine. Um, I, the, this has been another, another term. This has been a godsend. Um, so I'm, I'm very grateful. So, so if anybody, I'll put that in the show, show notes as well. If anybody's looking for help, this is a great resource. They have therapists across the U S um, and many of them take the, the big, um, insurance coverage, um, so like the, whatever big companies you have in your state, um, many of those, uh, therapists take them. So anyway, good, good stuff yeah. for people who've gone through things and need, I mean, I was just surprised to hear Nate saying to me, Gail, I love my therapist. <laughs> and I was like, really? This is good. I mean, most people think therapy is like going to see any doctor, whether it's a dentist or, you know, it's a little bit of torture. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you were just like, that was so so refreshing and so helpful. Yeah. All right. Well, um, Chris, do you have anything else you want to say? Oh, no. I just, I think the last thing I just want to say is, you know, there is hope out there. Um, and if it doesn't feel like love, this is a Susan Cottrell quote, so I can't take, you know, um, credit for it. If it doesn't feel like love, it's not love. Hmm. Mm. Well said. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story on our show. This wraps up another episode of Full Mutuality. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you can get new episodes delivered right to your device. Visit fullmutuality.com for links to the apps and platforms we're available on, our social media profiles, previous episodes, information on our guests, and so much more. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast.